Hey, welcome to a uh, another edition of what are we? Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. Yes, that's what we are. Uh, I'm Paul Gillette. Chris Palomares is with me. Jim Lincoln is otherwise detained. So, and also a senior moment. Let's let's just put that in there too. Yes, yes, senior moment. So, Chris, tell me about the most recent shows. There've been a couple of them that uh, off you know Athens been to. People are really interested in what is taking place and, you know, developing in the industry. So what's going on? Well, actually, I, the last show I was at was Naperville. And I went as just a regular modeler guy. I didn't go representing Athern, but I did make a habit of just enjoying some of the clinics and uh, got a layout tour out of it, too. And that was really awesome. Then before that, I'm trying to recall, I think it was St. Louis. Okay. Was well, it was the one before that, and that was a an Athern supported uh, event. So, and and that I mean, both those RPM shows are are of interest to Athern, um, and and to me, of course, because I, I am a RPM modeler myself. So mm-hmm. I, I would say the the reason why Athern is interested in RPM events is it supports the Genesis customer. Okay. And there's a lot of informed individuals there that come with research in hand. And it's a really good place to meet up with the, the people that are contributors, maybe meet new contributors, and also get the state of the hobby as far as the Genesis customers are concerned. So the, the, there's, there's a lot of movement as far as uh, clinics going on. There's a lot of things kind of happening at simultaneously at these things, and it's really hard to kind of get to everything. So you got to pick and choose the the things that you're going to go to. Sure. The first over in St. Louis, I really wasn't able to attend too many clinics. Not definitely not as much as I would have liked because there were some really good clinics going on. But that was that was more just uh, meeting people, uh, meeting our customers, meeting uh, our contributors, and discussing projects and new projects and potential projects and good ideas and mm-hmm. you know, getting feedback. That's always really important to have just so you kind of keep your feet on the ground when it comes to uh, forward movement as a company. So, okay. And I mean, my own impression of those uh, shows, just the, the individual modeler modelers that come and bring uh, equipment, locomotives, whatever to show. There's some incredibly skilled people out there based on what I see at the shows. Uh, everything from weathering to insane details have been added to an already well-detailed uh, unit. It's it's just kind of eye-opening about what can be done with you know, this little hobby of ours in HO scale. Yeah, definitely. It's it's eye-opening, too, because you don't realize how many people are out there until you go to an event like St. Louis mm-hmm. that are really into, I guess, kind of tip-of-the-spear type modeling. Yes. <laughs> you know, for, for lack of a better term for it. There are so many people out there, and there's so many people that still enjoy the craft of it, and also just out of curiosity want to see how far they can take it with their own hands. And it's it's really inspiring to see that. You know, we go through go through phases. I always look at everybody's ads and look at what's 
coming out, and like where we talked to uh, James Wright the other night, and he took his small railroad, and now he's got this 20 by 20 L-shaped uh, thing in his basement. I've gone the other way, so I'm evaluating what equipment am I going to keep, what equipment am I going to sell, and yeah. and what am I going to do, you know, where am I going to land? So my wife goes, what are you going to do when you have this build up? And I said, honey, the track work is almost done. And I mean, you know, the roots are down. There's uh, just ordered the turnouts to put in one more couple yard tracks. Otherwise, it's all about scenery or going back and adding more detail to equipment, be it cars, whatever. There's always something you can add to them. So I spend a lot of time watching YouTube videos or train masters. Yeah. Especially on trees. And uh, you you ever done super trees? Scenic yes, I have. super trees? I have. So I had sent an email to Scenic after I got the first big box in. And I said, you know, I would pay more money for less trees in a bigger box if it would keep them from, you know, having to be compressed and curving in there. I said, because I watched Joe's video on how to do it and didn't have the success he did. And she goes, oh, here, go watch, uh, what is it? What's his first name, Frary? Dave Frary? Yeah, she said, go watch Dave Frary's uh, video using a soldering iron. Hmm. And so you just take the bow tree and you just take, yeah, a little 30-watt pencil and you just touch it on there and it weakens the tree enough that it pretty much stands up straight. So, hmm. yeah, because I've got, I don't know, i got like 50 or 60 trees, uh, depending on what I do with this one section of the railroad, that it'll be a dense forest. Uh, remember when we talked to... Joey Ricard? Yeah, I do. In watching a lot of Joey's videos with with his uh, ON30, one of the things that just impressed me was just the inordinate amount of nits and lice detailing that goes into his scenes that just make them come alive. Oh, yeah. And so I thought, okay, so there's an eight-foot section over here with a team track on it that's already been you know, static grass to 30, 40 trees put on it, bushes, uh, track weather, gravel, all this stuff. And I keep going, okay, still not junky enough. You know, team tracks had a lot of litter and extraneous, you know, empty pallets and stuff around them. And so... But I'm enjoying that as much as I did when I was in an affair with trains, actually working on mountains and doing that big railroad for Bob there. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can come up here once my wife leaves for work. And, oh, it's 4 o'clock. She'll be home in another hour and a half. Yeah, and then I go downstairs. <laughs> Especially as hot as it's been here this summer. You don't want to be outside, so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely been an indoor-type summer. How's it? Uh, well, you're still warm, aren't you? Actually, it's been cooling down quite a bit. Uh, it's been 50 degree about average. Oh, um, wow. Nights have been getting dipping down into the, the 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 low 40s, high 30s. You know, 
Uh, it's been it, it rained just yesterday, in fact, and uh, so y- you know it, there wasn't much. There wasn't much of a, I'd say, a nice period here. It kind of was hot, 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 dipped down for maybe a, like a week or two into the 70s, and then it was just like, okay, now we're dropping off, you know, and we're into winter. So, uh, we were 85 today. At least the humidity went away because I had to oh, top finally down. Went away for you guys then. Huh? Yeah, yeah. So I had to go run errands, so I put the top down in the car, and it was just really great. One thing I have noticed, uh, we are about maybe, as the crow flies, a half a mile uh, from this humongous city park in uh, New Orleans, where the art museum and all this kind of stuff is. And there's a line that runs through there. And judging by the, the viaducts and stuff, they look. I mean, they're very Art Deco. So who knows? That line maybe been there since the 30s. But, you know, it's all welded rail now and so forth. It's double tracked. Mm-hmm. And so when trains are going from left to right, they're going south. And then the other way, they're, they're heading out. So there's a, a stopping point right there. And so it, maybe it's a crew change. Also, but every morning about seven, mm-hmm. I'll take the dog out and I'll be sitting on the back porch and I'll hear the, the two blasts of the horn, especially if it's, you know, with the humidity, the sound transfers. And sometimes you can hear the low rumble of them, you know, notching up as they pull out. But one thing I've noticed is traffic must be really picking up. There's just more trains on that line. Uh, We came back from a restaurant uh, the other day, and here we're down by the, what they call River Road, down by the Mississippi. Here were two very clean Kansas City Southern in that black, yellow, and red. Oh, the Retro Bell. Yeah, the Southern Bell scheme. Just pulling a solid block of tank cars. Oh, cool. And on the other track, heading the opposite direction, was a slow-moving cut of tank cars, either empties or full. I, I was driving, so I really couldn't stare at the, the springs to see if they were compressed like they were loaded or whatever. But today, several trains, when I had to hop on I-10, go down into towards town to get there, and I went, boy, CSX, Norfolk Southern, uh, yesterday, there were five pumpkins, uh, one SD-70, the others were, uh, you know, Dash 8, Dash 9, one or two were Jeevos, and then a CSX on the end. Chess, those were reefer blocks. And oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Looked just like Craig McMartin's cars. Hey, did Craig make that? <laughs> but I don't know where the yards are. I've looked them up on maps and... I've asked people at the uh, hobby store about them, and they always go, eh, I don't think you want to go down there. <laughs> okay, okay. Take your word for it. But it's, you know, it's just slow progress on the, uh, on the railroad. So, yeah. Because I'm not rushing into anything and ended up tearing it down. 
right. you know, cut out foam and redo it. So, but I've already plotted out where some of Mr. Uh, Ricard's photo backdrops will go and evolving towards where the scene breaks will be. Because, yeah, it's just going to be vignettes of trains run through. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a small yard and a passenger siding and stuff. But, yeah, if I wanted to go down to either 080s or S2s, S4s, and just make this all a big industry and do switching and stuff, but I don't enjoy that. So yeah, I'll, I'll probably devolve into steam. Steam oh, and are, trans, huh? transition. Well, I've got your big boy, two cab Fords, a uh, BLI Northern and a Heritage uh, 284 and then a CNO Allegheny. So uh, yeah, I could end up selling off all my F-89s and my auto racks and everything like that. Oh, going into smaller footprint freight cars and things. Yes. Well, I probably have. Yeah, when I ran the big boy at the store, I'd have 55 uh, stock cars behind it. Mm -hmm. I had 45 or so transition era boxes and tanks behind the Allegheny. And... Yeah, I'm going, I just, I don't need to invest the room to store all this stuff. Yeah. Right, right. I don't know whether I'll eBay it or whatever, but just keep selected stuff and sell the rest of it. I don't want to be a collector that never takes it out of the box. Yeah, I I understand that feeling. I understand that feeling very, very well. (laughs) I'm like some of the guys that if they buy something, something's got to go. Mm-hmm. You know, so right. where that is, I was going to ask Jim until he got called away. Uh, I was looking for some detail parts. And I thought I'll check with Jim and see if maybe he knows of somebody on Safeways or whatever who's got who's already done this kind of stuff. But speaking of that, yeah, lights, headlights. Uh oh. So the other day. I was waiting uh, for some scenery items to dry. I just zip textured them. And so I pulled out my growing collection of MV product lenses. And the AC 4400, I've got two of them. They're you're ready to run. Yeah. <clears throat> and the CSX, I did my traditional way, cut off the dead uh, simulated uh Ditch lights, made my own housings, put in there. So I'm looking at this, the Warbonnet one, and I'm going, I wonder if these will fit. Because I've got some, I use 16th inch diameter clear rod to go through the Athern headlights. Okay. And they fit very easy on the older stuff and on the newer stuff, because you've gone metric, I guess, with your bulbs. or just a little tight, but I just chase them with a 16th inch drill bit by hand and it opens them up and everything's cool so i had a couple i had about three or four clear mv product lenses 16th of an inch and i put them up there and they fit right in the hole and i went golly that looks good so i thought how am i going to drill a hole in the back or at least get rid of that coating so that an led can shine through yeah so about two hours later, because <laughs> I'm trying different ways, I got out 
vice grips to gently grab the lens mm-hmm. upside down so I could put a, you know, the T-pins. I got a sharp one to where I could put a little, you know, pin prick there and then take my pin vise with a number 80 drill and do a pilot hole and then get a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Okay. And that was a lot more of a challenge than when I did the uh, Southern Pacific F unit last fall. I bet it was. A lot, a lot more. One thing I found out that I was thinking that coating might be paint. I even Mm -hmm. tried putting acetone on it to see if I could just get like two fat hair diameter there. The first time I drilled it, the drill pulled that, it looks like foil. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, I never, I didn't know that. I thought maybe it was painted on or whatever. So it pulled the whole foil off. Oh, and so I thought, okay, wonder if I can just paint over that and I'll still get that reflectivity and so forth. So I did get one done, got a hole in it and glued some uh, clear styrene rod to it, let it cure. And then I just manually held a 0402 surface mount LED, hooked it up to a battery and it looked very, very good. Oh, it did. Yes. Look, because you had that light coming from the center, but yet a little bit of reflectivity. Mm-hmm. The The critical element is getting the pinhole in the middle. Ah. Uh, because it was just a hair off. I went, okay, really? that's going to have to be done. So I went on eBay and bought, because the local hobby store, he didn't have any EMV lenses and stuff. So I found a chart on the web that showed me what the, the sizes were. And so from 0625, then you go up to 070, I believe, and then 073. Mm-hmm. So I bought several four packs of 070s and 073s. And to see if that gives me a bigger target to be able to get my hole in the middle. And I'm using a magnifier that's got 20 LEDs, you know, circular mm-hmm. that come down. And the, uh, yeah, the vice grips aren't the way to go, obviously. I tried the stickiest double-sided tape I had. And (laughs) I was able to stabilize it a little by taking a pair of needle nose pliers, very tiny ones, and holding it tight against the tape while I brought the magnifier down and then brought my right hand in with the T-pin. That's showing promise. So maybe when I get the... 070 or 073, even if I have to ream that hole just a skosh to get it to nest in there, because I do like the look of it, but it's, I don't think you're going to want to do a hundred uh, diesel locomotives this way, but <laughs> you know, maybe a couple would, uh, would look real good, but <laughs> I mean, it's a great effect, but, and so, oh, I know a guy on, because uh, I, did a search on model railroad hobbyist and a guy had gone to, oh shoot, Hobby Lobby and found, quote unquote, his term, miniature gemstones, not mm. faceted like a diamond or the old, you know, the the glass jewels we used to get and put in lights. These were kind of flat, a little parabolic, I guess, and with a little bit round on the bottom back. And I thought, okay, I think I'll go to... Uh, Hobby Lobby, see what I can found. Because I found them on eBay. 
mm-hmm. in like 16th and uh, somewhere just under 70,000. Uh, but they were in like purple and pink. So maybe that means that somebody will, same company makes them in clear. I mean, they're cheap enough. It's like 500 for $2. Oh, yeah. That's uh, quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm you know, pretty... Paul, I, I was thinking about something like that and yeah. coming to kind of coming up with like a little jig to, to drill into the MV lens. Yeah. And finding like uh, like a brass tube where the inside of the brass tube is the same circumference of the lens. And then from there, you, you get another tube that goes inside there. That'll kind of guide your drill bit. You see what I'm saying? So yes. it would back like the, the bushing would guide the drill bit into the back of the lens and, and guarantee it being centered. Well, when I made, that's a good idea. When I made these ditch lights, I couldn't drill through the molded on light that was on the diesel. So, you know, without a drill press controlling it so that it goes through true. Right. So that's why I just went in and took them off. I used a piece of styrene tube evergreen mm-hmm. that had, oh, the inner, the outer diameter was maybe 065, 066. And the inside looked like it might hold a piece of 30 wire, 30 gauge wire. So I took my 16th inch bit and by hand, I, you know, the, the tiny hole centered it. Mm-hmm. And I just real gently got one revolution and drilling that straight through to hold the rod. And I'll send you a picture of what it looks like, but that's exactly what you're saying. I wouldn't drill it all the way through. I would just start the cup so it could hold the uh, MV lens so that it could be pierced and possibly drilled. Excellent idea. Right. Yeah. Excellent idea. And that, that'll get you a lot quicker. I mean, just a mechanical way that can guarantee it being centered and then, you know, doing the hand part. That would take a lot, I guess, of the, maybe perhaps the intensity of trying to get it centered every time, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, during the F unit, there, there were only two and they were much larger. That was no mm-hmm. problem at all. Uh, I was able to make a bullseye on a sheet of paper beneath it and I knew the diameter so drew that on and I just eyeballed okay this is sitting in the center there's and it and it worked but yeah this is a this is a different animal (laughs) but they look they look so good uh I even tried just doing a file. I've got a an ignition file. So they're very thin, very flexible. And there's teeth on the, the edge. Because the mm-hmm. edge is only like maybe a 64 or a 30 seconds. I thought if I could just abrade enough of that foil off, that's all I need. Just right. where I can glue a lens on there with super glue or even a faller super expert. Because with shrink tube, getting the 0402 onto the PVC or the clear styrene rod, that is not a problem. Do that all day long. 
Right. Because then you shrink the tube and it locks everything in place. Cool. So what else have you been doing? Oh, just, you know, I'm happy to say I have a workbench set up. And yeah. I've been happily modeling. And I've kind of knocked out a bunch of freight cars that just sort of been languishing here, gathering dust. And I was able to repair them. And uh, two of them are ready for just dull coating and weathering. One of the cars got dull coated and yeah. I finished up the weathering on that one. That one's done. Uh, I also have experimented with uh, something that I was kind of eager to show, uh, explain to Jim Lincoln. Uh, it's uh, I'm simulating a, the end of car cushioning pocket and they look visually different. Yeah. Um, so I tried that and. I was pretty pleased with the results on that. Uh, I've been also adding some more detail to some of my freight cars uh, with in particular the ends. And then also just going back through some of them that have been on the road quite a bit and fixing some of the stirrups that are broken off. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm psychologically building up myself to finishing up a locomotive that I've started detailing a long time ago. Um, I'm looking forward to just getting to the point of being able to paint and mm -hmm. get it ready for paint, and I'm I'm really excited. I I think what I might do in the interim on this is start working on the DCC end of it, since there's going to be a lot of handling. I don't really want to finish it, get it all painted, get it all detailed, and start trying to fuss around with getting the DCC installed. So yeah, what I, I I'm deciding which decoder I want to. Uh, go with on this one i i i'm i'm leaning either way to tsunami 2 or esu uh both of them i have very compelling things to to offer and you know in certain ways uh, they, they can kind of coexist on the same layout and offer different things you know so i'm deciding which way i want to go with that um it's still kind of up in the air okay but, big uh, difference in price point yeah big difference in price point absolutely uh, uh, one of the things that that I've been exposed to, and I'm, I'm I'm really excited to try out, are those sugar cube speakers. Uh, yeah. Both ESU and and soundtracks offer different versions with the the baffle already pre-installed. So yeah, it makes installation of those things pretty pretty straightforward, you know. Yep. And so does uh, Railmaster. Jeff brought out a uh, looks like maybe a. 10 by 12, maybe a 10 by 15 with its mm -hmm. own enclosure. Right, uh, right. Uh, and it's elongated like uh, a number of the early cell phone speakers were. Mm -hmm. Now, is it correct that the motor control, because that's where I thought ESU, their select series, had it all over the original Tsunami. Uh -huh. So the Tsunami too, and I guess probably even the Echo Nami, have they, you know, improved that motor control? Motor control is substantially better okay. than the Tsunami 2. It's in a different realm. Okay. It, it, it's more akin to what you see with a ESU decoder. Okay. And I, I, I'd say they're pretty comparable. So the, the motor control, I, I think, is a lot better on Tsunami 2. Um, I've been able to get some of the... The, th the things that I hear out of the Tsunami 2, mm -hmm. um, I've been able to interject a, a straight-to-idle feature, which will allow the locomotive to coast 
And then by pressing a different button, you can engage the dynamic brakes. So I, I'm getting a lot of the same things I can do out of an ESU. Okay. The, the, the thing that, that is, the, I, I think the, the, the point of this is I'm kind of wondering how, fun, how much future proofing can I do with this locomotive so I don't have to take it apart to pull out the decoder to, you know, uh, service it or update it or something like that. So I, I might be, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of waffling either way right now. And uh, I'm, I'm still kind of deciding how I want it to uh, behave in the, in the locomotive fleet, what sort of other locomotives I might want to run with it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and then I'll make a decision on that and then, to select a decoder accordingly so okay uh yeah i know what you mean because even here on this small railroad you know first I had to go in and readjust all the volumes down mm-hmm. and reprogram the the mute button on uh on the esu so that when it's on the other side of the room i can actually shut the sound off right i looked at okay do i want to take some of the uh tsunamis out to increase you know and replace it with an esu select because that'll give me more lash ups because i don't think they play well in the sandbox together right and it's like i've got maybe four or five kados and they have the kt 1000 board by tsunami in there and they don't play well with athern Mm-hmm. They're closer to Atlas, but just to totally destroy that theory, one of the Kados acts like it's got an ESU, but it doesn't. It's a, it's a KT-1000, and it's just finite motor control. So the other BN is an SD-40-2. They just they don't get along. The, mm-hmm. the SD-40 is always trying to push the SD-70, and you can actually hear the wheels grinding. <laughs> oh. Cool. So, uh, you know, so that one, but that's something different about the the, the motors between the two Kato series there. But, I mean, I took them apart and looked at them, and I went, looks like the same motor. You know, the, <laughs> the gears look the same, but uh, the SD-70 just runs so much more smoother but i understand what you're saying about retrofitting so i went you know i am not going to uh retro these guys they can you know the ones that are tsunami will stay tsunami and the ones that are esu will stay esu that's kind of my my thinking it's i i i've I don't know if I'm going to go through all my stuff and switch it over to one manufacturer decoder. Quite honestly, I don't see a need for that, especially if these things are going to be regularly consisted together. I'm not mm-hmm. planning extreme interoperability among all my locomotives. What will probably happen is like I have a helper set that will always be together, you know, and they'll yeah. be a group of five. And uh, once I get this group of five reasonably speed matched, they're going to be that way. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, if it runs good, you know, I'm going to be pretty satisfied with that. And I'm not going to really want to um, go back and redo that and go through all that pain over again. So my thinking is, okay, well, 
and what train is this locomotive going to go? Is it going to be with this helper set that's all maybe tsunami based, or is it going to be something that's going to be standalone? Is it going to be something that perhaps I want to run with a few friends that have ESU decoders? Yeah. So I, I'm kind of deciding what service is this little sucker going to be in? And well, once I determine that, then it'll be okay. Well, I'm going to go this route with that. And this is what I need to do to get it to sound good, look good, operate good. Ta-da, you know? So it's actually pretty exciting because, you know, the last sound decoder I installed was like a soundtrack to DSD. And the motor control on those things was so bad that they actually made like a sound only version of it where you're supposed to saddle it up with like a another decoder <laughs> oh yeah yeah you remember those days well yes. yeah i i, I i'm, I'm kind of looking at that one and looking at this one and say you know what you guys might be buddies so what i do to one you know that their destinies will be entwined you know <laughs> so well, now on the uh Oh gosh, that's that brings back memories of long ago. Uh, <laughs> about two years ago, I got a set of uh, MTH PAs, and uh, there was a Christmas gift, and I said, "Just make them DC. I'll put a ESU decoder in both of them." So I did, and over the course of six months, the A unit blew out the uh, motor control on two decoders. Oh, wow. And so I talked to Matt about it. And he said, he said, you're probably getting a spike. And he said, it could be, he said, they're notorious power hogs. And I said, well, look, I put it on power meters. The, it says it's only drawn three tenths of an amp. Mm -hmm. I said, but it's just goes out the sound, the lights, everything else is good. So I put the second decoder in it and that ran for about a week at the store. And then all of a sudden, boom. It's gone. Mm. So in the interim, I bought another set of MTHABs, PAs, put uh, ESUs in, and I thought, I am not going to drop another 85 bucks in this aid unit. So I left it as a uh, sound dummy. Mm -hmm. So when I consist it, obviously it has to be the yeah, if I'm doing an ABBA, it's going to be the trailing A. Right. And once you consist it, you start it up, the F8, the notch up, it is fine. And I'm thinking, you know, if I have like the two BNs that won't play together, I may just disconnect the worm drive. I mean, that's what I did on the PA. I took the, the worm drive out, took the drive shafts out. So that there's, you know, lubed everything and so there's no drag on the, on the trucks. Mm -hmm. And uh, didn't even disconnect the motor leads. I just left them on the decoder because everything else works. But I may do that on those uh, two uh, BNs. I'll just disconnect the, uh, the drive shaft, the worm gears, and make it a sound dummy. Then, then they will run together very well. Right, right. Yeah, it's actually a easy change out. I wouldn't want to push, you know, as heavy as you guys are making all these locomotives now. I wouldn't want to push it because the couplers are always going to be deflected to one side or the other. 
Right. But as a trailing unit, why not? Yeah, absolutely. It, it sounds that way. And if you take the ESUs, you can tweak the sound by when you go through the program screen and it goes uh, sound level at minimum speed, sound level at uh, full speed. And you can play with that in there and get the motors to sound differently. Yeah, like huh. because especially if it's an older locomotive, oh, and the other way is just, especially on a tsunami, set the speed steps differently. Instead of every eight notches, do one at seven. That way mm -hmm. you'll have transitioning at different different speeds. But I played with it. I picked up that hint from uh, one of the ESU forum guys. And he says, yeah, try this. And I went, wow, that's amazing. Now you hear two distinct sounds because, uh, you know, at track speed, the motor, you've programmed it to a different, uh, it's almost like pitch. Mm-hmm. So neat little things you can do to give these things personality. Oh yeah. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to digging into this thing. It's it's been a long, long time since I worked on a locomotive to to this extent. <laughs> so so yeah, it's it's going to be kind of like a whole new world, bringing everything up to uh, to 2016 here. Yeah. Um. The, the last time I, I worked on on anything. It was, it was, yeah, it was pretty much the locomotive I did after the DSD install. I swear I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just simply like putting in a decoder and getting the light bulbs to work and stuff like that. So now, now here's a whole new thing with all these micro-sized LEDs that was completely just not available back when I was doing locomotive detailing. This is well, probably sure. about... 2005 2004 you know so it, it's it's been quite some time so yeah so yeah I, I, i'm i'm really getting excited about trying out some of these new things that that can have come on the market since I, i've last done anything like this and um you know looking at the entire locomotive fleet and going and going like well you know what we have all these neat little speakers now and i've, I've seen people take like a sugar cube and add it to, uh, add it to the onboard speaker, you know, in a series or something. And it just improves the sound tenfold, you know? Sure. So uh, I'm looking at things like that. And I'm, you know, when I do pull out that DSD, finally, uh, I'm, I'm wondering what I'm going to do with it. If it's just going to become like a, uh, <laughs> a parts queen where it just sort of hangs on the wall, you know, it's like, yeah, I actually had one of those, you know, or if I'm going to try to do something a little unique with it, like hook it up to a low pass filter and just get the bass out of it on a, um, outboard speaker. So, oh yeah, you know, then, then I can consist it together and have like the low end on I, right now. I just have the layout set up sort of like a shelf. Um, so when I actually get to the point of running, you know, having like the base on the low end and being able to switch and things like that. Yeah. I, I think there will be a lot of appeal to that. So there it's, uh, I put three videos up on the podcast page, uh, of three locomotives on test rollers 
over here in one of these yards just to show what you could do with sugar cubes. Mm -hmm. So the F unit has a single uh, 13 by 18 by 13. I believe that's the size. It's the biggest sugar cube because that's all the room there was in that. That was a modified Stewart. And I put okay. a, put an Intermountain body on it because I wanted to see through uh, intakes and all that stuff and detailed it. So that's that's an old-fashioned AT-1000 Tsunami. But because it's got a seven-band graphic equalizer, I could coax a lower mid-range frequency out of that. And it's, it's got a little bit of grunt to it. The one that's the uh, that just even at idle, let alone when you get up uh, mid forties towards fifty speed steps, are the uh, three sugar cubes wired series parallel. Mm -hmm. And I made I mounted them just to a baffle board, put it up in the uh, hood of an RTR SD forty dash two. Mm -hmm. So they're firing up through the the fan openings. And then I just sealed the bottom of it so I didn't have any out of phase. And that thing grunts at idle. <laughs> and you get prime mover roar up in what would be notch eight. So I've, I just put these videos running up and down through the speed. And it's amazing what you can get out of these little guys. You know, that that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited about this. I would... I put up a video just recently of uh, the Durango and Silverton. And if that kind of indicates where I was at, yeah, not only being in Durango, guess where I was at, I was over at soundtrack. So yeah, um, I, I, I had kind of a hands-on session with them in exploration of the latest development and where they felt good sound was going. And I, I met with their sound engineer, uh, and he's extremely knowledgeable, a former BNSF uh, engineer okay. himself. And he, he and I were just kind of going through some settings and stuff, and then also configurations of speakers. And the one that sounded to me amazing was the one with the sugar cube and just the conventional speaker, the, the, the round speaker. Okay. And... The two together just made for, in my to my ear, it, it sounded just really full, just rich, good sound coming out of a locomotive. Um, the only thing that that can make it more impressive is the ultra lows that you know where you almost feel them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so what do they call that rolling thunder at uh, BLI. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that was probably the only spectrum that that this locomotive was missing but everything else just sounded really good and i'd say this is it's been kind of a long process for me to kind of warm up to sound uh, in the beginning i was just sort of yeah it's just no <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of effort and you know half hour into it i'm i'm, I'm turning it off you know <laughs> so well some of the, yeah let's face it some of the early attempted sound were turnoffs Right, right. It, I mean, it, it it was novel at first to be able to honk the horn and ring the bell and stuff like that. And yeah, but you know, 
you, you spend an hour with that, you're ready to just silence the darn thing and just have a regular conversation with someone. So, yeah. But but now they got it where they have like the spitter valve going off and all this mm-hmm. other ex, extraneous, you know, animation stuff, which yes. makes it pretty cool, you know. So, yeah, I read it. I Googled it and it brought up a thread off of a model railroad form. I'd never heard of it. The discussion was around crossover networks, speaker crossovers. Mm-hmm. So that, to use your example, you could put a crossover between, say, your 28 millimeter round speaker and the sugar cube. Right. And limit the sugar cube from trying to produce anything, say, lower than 700 hertz or the 28 millimeter from producing anything much above 1,000 or whatever those numbers would test out. Yeah, who Professor Kleiser is, the Australian oh, guy. Oh, yeah, the professor. Yes. That he, that guy is extremely knowledgeable. Well, he's a sound engineer. Yeah. He, uh, and this goes back two years, and we were talking about the thread was on iPhone speakers. You know, tablet speakers probably more accurate. And I had posted a video, and he ran it through his machine. I guess that's a, like an oscilloscope that mm-hmm. mapped the frequencies. And he goes, Duck Dogger, he said, Tsunami's actually producing sub 200 hertz sound. He said, it's not really deep bass. It's just like really real low mid-range. He said, because I was using that locomotive had DSM-8s from uh, Railmasters. He said, try these settings in the graphic equalizer, which I did. And I went, wow, what, what a difference. So this, this other guy was talking about crossovers. Mm-hmm. And I went, boy, that makes sense. That really makes sense. This, uh, wherever I put it to make way for the recording, the Dash 8 actually, or the C4400, actually has a lot of room in the butterfly, you know, with a GE's, the radiator openings back there kind of spread out like a butterfly. Right. There's a lot of room. I mean, you could put three 10 by 15 by 11 or 14 you know, sugar cubes back there very easy. Or even I have put two of the real large sugar cubes back there and just wired them uh, parallel mm-hmm. and get a lot of, you're going to fire them down because the grid doesn't, you know, the radiator opening end up. Uh, but, a lot of good sound still comes down. I'm intrigued by that finding a crossover. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be small. <laughs> and yeah. hopefully something may be great if you could hook it up to a computer and program it, do your own sound curve in there where you want the uh, crossover to be and stuff. That would be neat. You, you know, Paul, I recall doing some audio stuff and I think they did made their own crossover from, you know, maybe some capacitors or something like that. Really? Yeah. It's, it's not a digital sort of thing. It's just a analog device. that sort of just, you know, you put in there and it, it changes the, the, the frequency, the frequency that, that gets sent through the speaker. Oh, okay. That, all right, that makes sense. 
Hi. If anybody's listening to the podcast knows what more specific, uh, give us a shout on the podcast page. That's you know a great what? idea. I'm going to look that up right now because I think it's a car audio trick more than it is anything. And there's some pretty neat car audio tricks that, that they do to, you know, route different frequencies in different places. Okay. So let me just look this up and uh, I, I can tell you in, in real short time here what it is exactly. Um, good old Google to the rescue. Oh, man, I tell you. <laughs> I tell you. Um, One of the first freelance gigs I did after I got out of college on my days off from the from ACF at the railroad plant. A friend of mine started an audio store. And this is back when the audiophile segment of the market was really starting to explode, like the early 70s. And you had still had tube amps and stuff, like as you do now. But the speaker technology and stuff was exploding. And I used to do all of this pen and ink illustrations. I said, why, why use a photo? Let me take that photo and create it into a line drawing with cross hatching and all that's, that's, that was my first, uh, thing. We did newspaper ads and, uh, billboard ad and I did all the artwork for it. Oh, huh. Yeah. And plus, you know, when I would go down to pick up the literature or take photos, if I needed to, I would just take my own music down. He said, sure, go ahead. Audition those speakers over there, you know, which were way beyond my spending limit at the time. But I'm amazed. We put a an outdoor TV on the back porch, and there's specific brands that are made to be outdoors. Right. Like if you go to Disney World, all those monitors and the cues that you're looking at out in the sun, in the rain or whatever, are made by a company called Sunbright. So they're good. I mean, they're good for 110 degrees. So that's what I bought to put up back. And so the store that does this, when I say he's got high-end speakers, I mean, he had a set of electrostatics there that were $17,000. And I was, I couldn't even comment on them. I was so flabbergasted. I said, really? And so he said, yeah, here, let me show you this listening room. And Chris, there was almost $80,000 worth of Oh. amps, preamps, tubes, oh turntable, all this stuff in the speakers. And uh-huh. I, went, I just cannot fathom somebody spending this much money on that. He said, we're a sports town. <laughs> I said, we have a lot of wealthy people here. He said, they just want what they want. I went, I'm happy for them. <laughs> I'm happy for them. All right, Paul. What'd you I find? Found, I found it. I found okay. it. For for separating frequencies out for high range stuff, you would use a a capacitor, and the capacitor would be uh, bipolar. And then for for the low frequencies, you would use an inductor, and an inductor is pretty much one of those coils that wrap around like a, oh, okay. a magnet and something. Yeah. And uh, I found a so far I found a website 
that that sort of describes this, and it, and it gives you parts. What is it? It's a do yourself a DIY audio and video.com and it's a tutorial on design your design and build your own crossover. And it's very basic. So what I can do is post this on to or you know what I'll I'll just I can oh, put this on post it on the uh, the podcast Facebook page with just a brief description. Yeah, hey for your information this is what Paul and I discussed. Yeah, I, th- I, I, I'm very interested in this because I'll tell you what. Uh, part of all the, all the things that went on over at Soundtracks, we found this one speaker yeah. that has this gigantic magnet on it. It's about an inch round. Wow. And the the magnet is about three quarters of an inch round. <laughs> <laughs> And, you know, I haven't listened to it yet, but there's something telling me, like, this thing's going to be really good for producing low frequencies. Yeah. And, you know, I started thinking just ironically a little bit before this about, you know, I wonder if there's a way to just sort of build my own little crossover inside the locomotive that would, you know, put certain frequencies on that low speaker. And then the other one, just like what you were saying, onto the sugar cube. And uh, just put the sugar cube closer to the horn or the dynamics or whatever, maybe even in, in between, and yeah. just do it that way. Even if you tinted the windows and gutted the cap, yeah, uh, and down fired it. I mean, there's a lot of room to be had inside of a of a even a hood shell. Uh, wow, that is so cool. Yeah, it, it's worth you know getting a hold of a electronic store and just messing around a little bit you know do this all outboard first kind of breadboard it on mm-hmm. and uh see where see where this takes you you know because I, it, I have no idea how how effective or even if it'll make any sort of difference whatsoever but hey you don't know what you don't know and if you don't try you'll never know <laughs> yeah kid we don't know what we don't know Somebody told me that the other night, and I just went, no kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you, Captain Obvious. So is there anything new from you guys coming down the line that you can share? You know, I can. Since, like, as of midnight, as I'm talking to you, it will be revealed. Okay. Um, we're doing the ES44 DC version of the General Electric Jivo. And we're going to uh, have uh, some some uh, pre-production samples. Okay. Uh, most likely just test shots and things like that, kind of a test build showing yeah. the, the actual model. And there's there's quite a bit different from... Well, I shouldn't say quite a bit, but there is some differences from the the, the alternating current version to the to the direct current one. Yeah, and primarily the biggest difference is, well, you, you'll notice that we can actually do a Norfolk Southern version of something. Oh, okay. so and, and that that includes a new cab that has the high mounted headlight between the number boards and some uh, Norfolk Norfolk Southern specific. Uh, features beyond that too sweet so yeah that, that's pretty exciting and uh 
We're, we're also going to, over at TrainFest, this is going to be in November, and November's quickly showing up here. Oh, yeah. Um, we're also going to be showing off the the sound version of the SD40-2 um, with, a few mo- with a few versions that are actually coming with the economy in it. And the economy is, be- benefits from having all the, all the things that the Tsunami, the first version of the Tsunami had, plus a, a better, better amplifier for the speaker and motor control. So just that in itself is, is a, a, a big improvement over the Tsunami 1 even. And that's supposed to be the economy. Wow. I thought when you started rattling off, I thought my mind was going in a different direction. I went, wait a minute. He just say an SDP 40 F and Amtrak. (laughs) No, we leaked that one already. (laughs) The SDP has been uh, leaked as far as uh, showing some 3d renderings. Yeah. I, I have not yet posted onto Facebook, uh, the tooling that's in progress and it's a side of the SDP 40 F that I'm going to post here pretty soon, probably sooner than later. Uh, I think by the time, uh, everybody hears the podcast, it'll be up on the Athern Facebook. Okay. What are you going to do? Phase one, phase two paint, uh, phase one, uh, that's good. And, uh, from there it'll be a little bit of a surprise. Could be. I hope you do. Uh, some undecks. Oh yeah. The, uh, couple years ago I bought and I had them up on my webpage and I've posted them other places. Uh, I did some fantasy CSX corporate ease and mm-hmm. I had an ABA set and they were proto two thousands. Mm-hmm. And so I had them out running them last week and one of the A's now has got crack gears and there was something else about the motors and I've put all this time in these bodies. (laughs) So I thought, you know, I either have to go out and buy three new generation proto E units and just change out the bodies or hope somebody makes something like a, uh, a Genesis, a P42 or you know, the SDP-40F undecorated so I can paint it in this uh, fantasy scheme. And, so you're, uh, you're going to do like a fantasy uh, CSX then? Yes, it would uh, use uh, dark future yellow and blue. Mm-hmm. It's just I do it differently. Uh, I paint it up the, like the C&O. <laughs> huh? Paint it up like a C&O then. Yeah, well, I did it CSX, and what I did was I took the CNO passenger colors, right? Because I bought all BLI Cal Zephyr cars, and I painted them with a blue roof. Of course, the window band was stainless, and then the fluting I did in a dark future yellow, and then the stainless steel along the skirting and silver wheels, mm-hmm. and got a lot of compliments on it when I would run it and when I posted the photos on the web that I now they're getting unreliable to run because of the ease so there would be you know yard posters if I could you know if you guys do undecorated I will buy two of those and they'll go into this fantasy scheme mm-hmm. oh that is so cool I am so glad to hear that yeah yeah that's uh 
That's coming up. More information on on that coming up soon. Cool. So oh, yeah, there, there's there's a lot to look forward to. Uh, 2017. We got a bunch of surprises up our sleeve. Great, great. Oh, I'm ecstatic. Ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Well, that that is so neat. So how's life? You know, otherwise, that. Uh, What's your opinion of the health financially of the hobby? Um, I, I think the right now there's there's been some concern, but a, a lot of the retailers have been saying that this happens every eight years with an election. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so it's an election year that you, I, I also you know this this last winter being a, a little bit warmer for the Midwest. Yeah. And the East Coast, um, people were out doing other things. So as soon as the snow hits, <laughs> I think the I think people will be in the train sort of frame of mind here again. And uh, Oh, okay. And then speaking of that, I heard that somebody bought the rights to Caboose Hobbies. Yes. Yes. So it's gonna reopen in a different location but so we hope it'll be run just like the previous owner the new gentleman that that has bought caboose hobbies is kevin rubel okay and the plan that i've seen so far put out is that they're planning to reopen caboose hobbies in the denver metro area okay they're still looking for um a, a lo new location to okay to plant the flag that's great. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just like rail model craftsman. Mm -hmm. It's an institution. Yes. <laughs> you just yeah. can't let it go, go out with a whimper. You yeah. Know, it, it, it has such tremendous brand um, that it, it needs to live on just for the sake of everything. And it, it, it's telling, it's really saying that both rail model craftsman and caboose hobbies you know, it looked bad for a little bit, but it's going to get a lot better. So. Okay. Well, good because, yeah, just the, the mom and pop uh, hobby store, uh, like an affair with trains. I mean, that's all he does. Mm -hmm. And he is not. He's a destination. He's not a place that people stumble on. They have to Google model trains get his name. It's easy to get to him, but it's not a typical retail location. There's plenty right. of parking and all that stuff. But, you know, so he's got that challenge. Yeah, I really miss working there. Miss all the friends and all that. Oh, sure. And my wife goes, well, yeah, because once a week I'll go to Mike's train shop here and well, it's over in Kenner by the airport. And, well, my wife will go, well, what'd you buy? And I said, Nothing went to look at just shoot the breeze with the, with other modelers. <laughs> Although Mike is very accommodating, he he's mainly O scale, mm -hmm. and then Lionel big. But he he has a smattering. He's got a lot of your product in there, RTR and Genesis. He's mm -hmm. got four or five of your steam locomotives in Genesis, and awesome. but he'll order anything. He said, "Paul, tell me what you want. I will order it in for you." So I regularly go down and order buildings and supplies and stuff. Real, real likable guy. 
he's been there forever. So, you know, he's, he said, I'll retire from here. I've been doing this for 50 years. He said, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but he supplements the trains with remote control. Right. So that's a smart move. Mm-hmm. I, you know, he's already stocked up on Christmas sets. He's got several nice looking Atherin assembled sets in there for Christmas. NHO. And then he's got, he was showing, he buys collections and then he sells them. Right. And some of this stuff he gets is just, just mind blowing. Old brass, because there's collectors that just want it. But yeah, people come to him and say, what do you give me here? And so forth. So he has a lot to offer, a lot to offer. So, oh, golly, I'm so excited. Stoked about the SDP forty F. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, uh, we we have a we have a lot of developments coming up for that, and uh, the, that'll start being made more prevalent in the new year. Yeah. So. Well, in 1974, 75, I think it was a model railroader. It was right after Atherin released their uh, FP45 with flywheels. I guess that was the premier engine with, or locomotive with the flywheels back then. And a guy goes, here's how you kit bash a, uh, he did too, an SDP45 using an Atherin blue box and one of the flywheel FP45s, which doors, which panels to cut off, how to reverse the roof, you know, for the exhaust to simulate a V16 versus a V20 and, do the uh, pilot. And so I did those. Ran, oh, yeah. Ran them for years and, you know, only got rid of them a couple years ago. One fell on the floor and, sh- oh. and shattered all the parts came off. And oh. I went, I am just going to wait. Somebody's going to make one of these. <laughs> so I don't, thank you. I don't have to go back and kit bash anything. Yep. 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 I, you know, honestly, I, I had a SDP 40F story uh, where I took an AHM. This is when oh, I yeah, was a junior, yeah. junior modeler. Yeah. And uh, I took an AHM FP 45. And, you know, I was looking at the photo of, of the real one and looking at this FP 45. Yeah. And I was like, what's this step well thing? This, the real one doesn't have that. So I cut off the ladders on the front. And yeah. Tried to cut the step well further back and you know i i was i was really young at the time i did a horrible job at it but but you know even then it was like it it just became a pet project for the years moving forward where uh i I saw an article in rmc on how to kit bash a sdp 40f and get all the doors in the right locations and it required like two or three different shells and stuff like that. Yes. And, you know, yes. I was, I was in like high school at the time and I didn't have money to buy like three different shells and all this other stuff. So what I tried to do was just make it, make it out of what I had and then take aluminum foil and make a rubbing of the doors that I needed and glue them in <laughs> to, to where they were supposed to be. And, That's ingenious. Well, 
I mean, in, in the end, it ended up being like a Santa Fe locomotive. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. it, it, some say some would be happy with the three feet rule. This was more like a six foot locomotive, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it, it was by no means uh, good looking in any stretch of the imagination. But for the time, it, it was very unique because it, it, it had, you know, sort of the general right thing in the general right yeah. location. <laughs> Well, and putting the uh, lights up by the number board, that was just a matter of filing a flat spot there and putting a detail associates casting up there. Right. For the right. gyro lights. Okay, got that done. Check it off the list. <laughs> yeah, that's it. All right. <laughs> Put a couple of jewels in them. Yeah. Yeah, back when jewels were the, the way to do locomotive lighting. I remember that. Oh, yeah, because otherwise you just had this great big bulb glowing in the cab. Right. Yeah, the weenie roast lighter, I think they call it. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the good old days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Everybody's probably listening to this going, are these guys serious? Yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah it, it all, it all it, for, for everyone that's been in the hobby for quite some time, they'll, they'll completely understand the weenie roast light in the cab. That's and, right. Uh, it'll, it, it, It'll invoke sort of holiday spirits. You know, you had eggnog and cinnamon and then the smell of, you know, ozone as the model train went by. So, <laughs> Yeah, in the future where we're running with uh, lithium-ion batteries and uh, iPhone apps for two-way to, you know, communication and, wow, they used to have to clean the track. Yeah, those poor slogs, they had to clean the track and really use some elbow grease to do it. <laughs> clean the wheels? Gee, many Chris. <laughs> well, I'm glad we connected tonight. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I apologize about the late start on that. I, I was just I so I... dug in for the, the new Atherne announcements, which are going in at midnight. Everything was kind of time sensitive. So Yeah. Well, no, Pam, guys, aren't you doing the podcast. And I said, Jim had to beg off. I said, my guess is Chris had business crop up. Yeah. And, and the and I had left the phone up here in the train room. That's why I didn't catch your call. And when I went to get it, I went, 217, that's got to be Mr. Palomares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know the 217 pops up. That That's central Illinois, you know. Yes, yes. Well, great. Chris, I'm going to go down. The okay. other night... Uh, my wife likes ribs, and so I slow roasted ribs over the over the weekend. You know, about th- three three and a half hours after the low heat. And she goes, "I think I'll make bread pudding." I said, "Are you going to use your grandmother's recipe?" And she goes, "Yeah." So you know, she does it with a French baguette, and she makes it in small batches. That way, when you put all the the cream and all that stuff in there, the bread still maintains its integrity. And when you bake it, it'll crust over, and then there's different sauces you can put with it. And, of course, it's got cinnamon, it's got raisins, all that stuff in it. So I said, you can do a real good dark rum sauce with it, with uh, cream, brown sugar, a little bit of dark rum, uh, because the alcohol flashes off as you cook it. And I said, you know, this stuff is so good. Don't worry about the... uh, don't worry about making the sauce. When I get done with the podcast, I'm going to scoop out some and nuke it. <laughs> you know, just Monday, I, I discovered probably one of my favorite barbecue joints over here in 
and it just so happened it was the pro i think it was the first uh railroad station here in champaign oh the big brick one or the one before the big, that it was the one before that. It's the single level, kind of oh. closer to the track height. Okay. And the and the and the restaurant's called uh, Black Dog, and I had some uh, I had some of the wings there. Yeah. And they were just so tasty, and the, the barbecue sauce was so good. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know what took me so long to get over there, but I, I, it's kind of hard to see at first because when you come in, you see. On the backside of the station, the one furthest from the tracks, it just sort of looks like a museum and their hours are, you know, different hours on the weekend. Yeah. And so I never really thought more, oh, that that that, that depot's a, a museum. So I never really checked out the front of it. The front of it's the restaurant and the front okay. of it has the view of the tracks. So. <laughs> okay. Do they still have haystacks there? Uh, I haven't seen that. The, a number of the bars not too far off campus and even up into uh, uh, Rantoul, where Alcoa had a, some offices that I'd go up there. But then on breakfast, especially on the weekends, you could buy one or two. So it's a big, like, what we used to call sheephead biscuits because they're so big and got that big misshapen, crusty top. Oh, nice. So you cut it. And then on the bottom were shredded home fries. And so they had been fried to where they browned and kind of stuck together. Then -hmm. you had a sausage patty. Then you had an egg, you know, fried egg, sunny side up, however you wanted it. Then you could get it dressed like tomato, lettuce, whatever. And then another sausage patty, bacon, and it finally topped off. And if you wanted it, they would ladle gravy over the uh, insides before they put the cap on. They called them haystacks. Oh, wow. Oh, one of them would just make you want to go right back to sleep. <laughs> I'd never Wake heard up of and it. go to sleep. Yep. Yeah, never heard of it. Called haystacks. So anyway. Well, you're just making me hungry for breakfast. That's all you're doing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> all yeah. right. Hey, Chris, thanks a lot for the time, buddy. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Paul. All righty.